Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by their good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Keith Flaw. He's the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We're talking about education in Florida. We'll also visit with Michael Cannon. He's the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. He'll be clarifying some of the things that are going on with regard to health care. We'll also visit with Seat Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, and the former mayor of Naples. Mayor Bill Barnett would be joining us as well. It is August the 13th, and on this day in 1981, at his California home in Rancho del Cielo, Ronald Reagan signed the Economic Recovery Tax Act, or ERDA, a historic package of tax and budget reductions that set the tone for his administration's overall economic policy. And during his campaign for the White House in 1980, he argued on behalf of supply-side economics, the theory of using tax cuts as incentives for individuals and businesses to work and produce goods, rather than the incentive for consumers to buy goods, which would be demand-side. In Congress, Jack Kemp, Representative Jack Kemp of New York, and Senator Bill Roth of Delaware, he was a Republican, all had long supported the supply-side principles uh, behind the IRTA, which would also be known as uh, the Kemp-Roth Act, the bill which received broad bipartisan support. <laughs> bipartisan support. When was that last uh, exercised in Congress? Anyhow, uh, represented a significant change in the course of federal income tax policy, which until then was believed by most people uh, to work best when used to affect demand during times of recession. The ERDA included a 25% reduction in marginal tax rates for individuals, phased in over three years, and indexed for inflation from that point on. The marginal tax rate, or the tax rate on the last dollar earned, was considered more important economic activity than the average tax rate, or total taxes paid as a percentage of income as it affected income earned through extra activities such as education, entrepreneurship, or investment. Reducing marginal tax rates, the theory went, would uh, help the economy grow faster through such extra efforts by individuals and businesses, and it certainly would. I recall being in sales at the time, and some folks talking about how the best salespeople would saying, you know, I think I'll just hold off starting in late November to, for any sales activity because I don't want to. Uh, it was a, a method of tax deferral. People were concerned about the t- amount of taxes they were paying. I certainly remember that, and I'm sure you do too. Anyhow, the Reagan tax cuts were designed to put maximum emphasis on encouraging innovation in entrepreneurship and creating incentives for development of venture capital and greater investment in human capital through training and education. Well, it certainly accomplished that, and uh, we know the rest of the story. Of course, the Reagan years were some of the best that we've had in American history, and we start to employ some of these same, the Laffer curve, remember? Uh, Art Laffer was a very big and instrumental in uh, working with Uh, the Reagan administration. He's back working again uh, with the Trump administration as well, employing some of the same thought process that we had during the Reagan years. It's certainly refreshing. 
While there are no statistics on COVID-19 in the Naples Daily News, uh, which is uh, kind of curious to me, it must be that the news is so good they couldn't write about it. But here's a tidbit to show how bad leadership can get. Wisconsin state government is forcing employees to wear masks while at home, alone, during Zoom meetings. Yes, even if you're in your own home, even if you're your own home alone, not with uh, that should matter at all. The fascist Democrats now want the Wisconsin state government, they're, they're forcing employees to wear masks during online meetings. The entire mask push is anti-science and un-American, I think, and puts hideous bureaucrats and Democrats in Wisconsin. It proves only that the, uh, the beginning they should obtain even more power. Uh, if you can imagine that, they, they say they want everybody to set a good example by wearing masks while they're alone and at home. Now, Daniel Horowitz, uh, Horowitz wrote, amid the debate over reopening schools without draconian restrictions, some of the best case studies from which to draw are children uh, uh, childcare settings that have already been opened during the pandemic. A number of childcare facilities for young children never shut down, and a goodly number of camps wound up over the later part of the summer uh, being opened. And new data shows remarkably few cases and no reported clinical problems for those cases. Emily Oster, an econo- economics professor at Brown University, and Gallet Alter, a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School, created a database of COVID-19 cases from selectively reporting child care facilities and summer camps at their website. The results were astounding. The low number of cases was remarkable. And uh, certainly this, it wasn't a scientific study because the, it was, the information was voluntarily given over to them. So it wasn't that kind of a controlled study. But irrespective, it was lots and lots of kids involved in the study. And there's just one or two cases. Uh, interestingly enough, Horowitz t- says that his kids came back from camp and everybody got 10-day colds <laughs> because that's what kids do. They start spreading germs around, not necessarily COVID-19. I guess they could do that too, but it, very little evidence that that occurred. We certainly live in an era of panic first and ask questions later. I'm just giving this information to encourage parents to know that, uh, for the most part, we have evidence kids are going to be safe in school. In fact, I love this. University of Alabama coach Nick Saban said his players are safer playing football than spending their time at home and in their communities. He, he's the head coach, said that the uh, conversation, if one, if, if one is to be had, should be about colleges reopening for the entire student body and not focused on sports. The al- athletic programs of college sports are capable of monitoring players and containing outbreaks of the coronavirus among players. If someone should get infected, well, they can take care of them. Now, they, they, uh, getting coronavirus is not necessarily a death sentence. I mean, a lot of these people are asymptomatic or recover. I have a friend that ended up having losing his sense of taste and smell for a couple of days and had a fever for a little while, but it went away in a couple of days and he was back to normal. So that's, the, that's going to be the experience for most people, not ending up on ventilators. Anyhow, the Big Ten Conference announced on Tuesday that it would cancel its schedule for the fall and hope to relaunch in spring of 2021. Too bad. I think that's a poor decision, but every, there's politics in this whole process, too, so I'm sure they're hearing a lot of voices. Billionaire bond fund manager Jeffrey Gunlack uh, believes the polls are wrong and that President Trump will win a second term in the White House. 
Will Joe Biden beat Donald Trump in November? I don't think so. He's the CEO and chief investment officer of a Los Angeles-based double-line capital, which has $148 billion in assets under management. Anyhow, he added that a high, highly toxic political environment makes the polls very, very, he called them, squishy. Now, the current polls have the average, of real clear politics average, uh, showed Biden and uh, Kamala, leading by 7.3% over uh, over the Trump administration right now, or under the Trump campaign. Well, the impact of Biden choosing Senator Kamala of California as a running mate isn't yet reflected in the polls. Gunlock believes that it's uh, not going to make a big difference. Interesting. So the nonpartisan government track U.S. website uh, rated Senator Kamala Harris the most left-wing member of the Senate in 2019, further left than Democrat Socialist Bernie Sanders. In 2018, Kamala Harris was ranked for the fourth most left-wing, but in 2019, a year she spent running for president, Harris moved to the left even further. She was an early co-sponsor of the Senate version of the Green New Deal, uh, and uh, (laughs) so interesting, John Kennedy from Louisiana said that uh, Kamala Harris is like OAC. She's smarter, but she doesn't have the bartending experience. <laughs> he just makes some great quips. Anyhow, Harris also supported uh, granting free health care to illegal aliens. She ranked out of 100 senators, 100th in the least conservative or most, lib- most liberal center on the list, and uh, the only one to score 0.000. Now, that's in juxtaposition to the New York Times calling Harris a pragmatic moderate in its coverage of Harris's announcement on Joe, as Joe Biden's uh, running mate. Unbelievable. The most, she is the least conservative, the most liberal of all senators based on uh, her voting record in 2019. Joe Biden announced he has chosen Kamala Harris. I wish I, I'm not sure going to have time to do this and described her as a person, as a, as a fearless fighter for the little guy and one of the country's finest public servants. During Harris's tenure as San Francisco chief prosecutor, however, she showed no signs of fighting for the little guy when she failed to prosecute any of the sexual abuse claims brought by against Catholic priests in the city despite outcries from uh, victim groups. Peter Schweitzer, if you haven't read his book, it's great, Profiles in Corruption, and it goes through a lot of these Democratic uh, candidates, including Kamala uh, Harris. He said during her 13-year tenure as district attorney and then attorney general, Harris failed to prosecute even one case of priest sexual abuse, though during the same period of time, at least 50 major cities had brought charges against them. And apparently she was getting lots of money from the uh, uh, Catholic Church, and uh, boy, she just, as a consequence, turned her head and uh, did not prosecute any of these cases. In fact, her predecessor uh, started an investigation, a very investi- uh, aggressive investigation. And when she showed up after winning the election, it all shut down. Now, what kind of character is that? Does that demonstrate character to you? I think that really puts, uh, it speaks volumes about a character or lack thereof. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. 
Com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Keith Law, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4100. 11 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. And building a great new performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more, but there's a story in the Naples Daily News today. You can also visit gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. He's the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Right now we have with us Keith Flaw. As I mentioned before the break, Keith is the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Keith, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Keith. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, we're a coalition of uh, well over 100 groups. We've uh, grown to about 70,000 people now who are active in our uh, database. And we uh, focus on K-12 education reform. Um, that means a lot of things to different people, to, but to us it means strongly advocating for school choice, 
um, parental choice, getting the indoctrination and the pornography out of our school systems, and really just unleashing the learning potential of each individual child. And I will say, just in valuation of the work that you've done since you started, it has just been remarkable, the influence that you've had on the direction of public education in, in a very positive way. So I congratulate you that on that, well, Keith. Thank you. Absolutely. So, Keith, the kids are getting ready to go back to school, and I'm sure there's a lot of hand-wringing going on right now about uh, their health, about kids being safe and so forth. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, it, it's a really... Uh, um, fascinating dilemma uh perplexing for most parents mm -hmm. uh they've 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 been um schooled if you will in the environment where they turn their kids over to the to the public school system and uh and then go about their daily business uh, because of covid they've had to uh, you know face for the last number of months the, the responsibility to, for their kids education and it, it's uh it's fascinating to see what's happening because a lot of parents are saying well, I'm just not going to send my kid back into that environment. You know, when, when we talk about what is that environment, many of the schools in Florida are, are going to be requiring kids uh, from all ages to wear their masks seven hours a day. Mm -hmm. try, try doing that yourself. Oh, no. I can't do it for <laughs> ten minutes, for crying out loud. Yeah, yeah me too. But uh, they're actually, um, many of them are putting plastic bubbles. They're setting the seats apart by six feet and then putting plastic bubbles around them. Um, there's no resource recesses. Lunches are at your desk. Uh, you, you move in pods. Uh, I mean, you're with the same group of kids all day. So, you know, kids learn by, uh, so much by being able to read facial expressions. Yeah. Um, and just the whole psychology. So parents are struggling with, you know, why would I want to send my kid back into that? And then the flip side of that is, oh my God, uh, trying to homeschool my children is so, uh, my child is so difficult. Well, um, I know you had Dominique Clemens on your show last week, and she talked about the event we did rescuing our children. Right. One of the speakers there was a lady by the name of Sam Sorbo. Um, she homeschools her kids. Uh, she, uh, with tears in her eyes, over dinner one night, she was telling me what a great relationship she has with her children. So she's so glad she did that. And she has a full-time career. Uh, she pointed out in her presentation that uh, parents in society today have been schooled, it's the term she used, mm -hmm. been schooled to believe that teaching our kids is something that only teachers in, in school can do. Mm -hmm. um, and, and her point was, that's nuts. Most, most parents, you know, 50% of parents have, uh, uh, have graduated from high school or college a third of our population of adults have graduated from college mm -hmm. so how uh, you remember the show and i'm just going to go back for some of us you remember the show uh, are you smarter than a fifth grader yes <laughs> uh it's not rocket science to take responsibility for teaching your child yeah uh, uh who, who is a sponge at, at young age for a parent who's who's interested. So, so I mean, you know, I'm I'm reading between the lines here, but I would it's uh, you're suggesting that homeschool should be a very important consideration for parents that are concerned about sending their kids back to school. Absolutely. Uh, in a recent survey, over 48 percent of parents said they're not sending their kids back to government schools. So that means they're either going to have to be able to afford a private school, and we have some great scholarships here in Florida to help parents with low incomes to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of parents who uh, can't afford 
private school. Homeschooling, um, and one of the lessons that parents have learned in this COVID is the amount of actual learning that takes place in the government school now that they're doing it virtually mm-hmm. is at most three hours a day. Yeah. It's, so, it, and, and the rest of it's just waste, right, in terms of learning. So a parent who, uh, you know, certainly a parent working at home can do this. Uh, a, a family where one parent's working uh, can, can join a co-op where they're sharing the responsibility. I call, I call it the daycare responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then take the parent can take responsibility for their child's education in the evening. You know, two to three hours is, um, is, is not a huge amount of each day for a parent who's committed to, uh, you know, r- r- raising a, um, a child with a future in our country. So right. we, we really strongly encourage homeschooling, um, but there, there are other opportunities out there, but we're, we're not at all encouraging people to send their kids into this uh, So, uh, Keith, uh, for those parents that might say, well, this sounds interesting, I'd like to look into homeschooling. Uh, any good resources? Where, where can people go? Uh, well, uh, please come to our website. Uh, we have quite a bit of information there about uh, two organizations. One is uh, Classical Conversations. It's a faith-based, so it's it's not for everybody. But it is an amazing, uh, where, where the parents are the teachers, and they come together as a co-op, and they take responsibility. So we're, we're really huge supporters of Classical Conversations. The other organization um, that, that we are supporting is uh, called Freedom Project Academy. They're a virtual school, so, mm-hmm. uh, so they're clearly non, not common core. They're clearly um, classical education, and, uh, you know, they have an excellent track record of students that uh, go through their process. So those are just two of many, many. Uh, we hear lots of parents just get, just deciding to come together in their communities and create a pot yeah. and, and figure it out. It's not that difficult. Yeah, okay, so the, the website is goflca.com, goflca.com or org, I believe, isn't it? Either one. That's Either right. one. And uh, by the way, uh, this uh, event that went on on the 31st and the 1st of August, uh, it was a day and a half event. It's all now been recorded. I watched a couple of hours of it. I was just fascinated with the quality of of the of what people were saying and what they were doing. So I just is there a separate website for that? Yeah, well, we're, we, we just put out literally this morning at 3 a.m. We put out our newsletter, and there's a link in there where you can go uh, and pull up that link, and you can see each individual. There were 15 different sections, and you can see each of those individually. Click on them and watch them at your leisure. Okay, uh, and you can find that on the website then. And so, right. by the way, when you get on the website, sign up for the newsletter because a lot of good information uh, in, yeah, about education yeah. in Florida. Again, right. goflca.com or org. Keith, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, have a great weekend, Bob. You as well. Thank you, Keith. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. He is the uh, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue 
Provence restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and I proudly serve on the board. Go, uh, it's the, the website is thefga.org, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Michael Cannon. He is the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute, and I've had a lot of guests on from the Cato Institute. It's kind of my go-to place for policy information. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me back. My pleasure indeed. Tell us about the Cato Institute. So the Cato Institute is a think tank in Washington, D.C. We've been around since 1977, and we are neither Republican nor Democratic nor left nor right. We are a libertarian think tank, which means we're trying to expand human liberty and human dignity in all areas for everyone, regardless of race, creed, color, nationality, uh, and uh, and all the rest. So. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I work in health policy there, which means that my work is dedicated to trying to give patients control over their health care dollars and decisions rather than let the government, whether it be politicians or unelected bureaucrats, make those decisions for them. 
Well, I must say, Michael, I mean, the work you're doing is extremely important. I, for one, am very confused about the current state of health insurance and health care right now because there's, we've got the AC uh, uh, Affordable Care Act. We've got, <laughs> we've got all kinds of things in the VA, all kinds of government programs in place, uh, the call for single payer, all kinds of things. And uh, to me, it just is all very confusing right now. And I think the government's too involved in the entire process. In fact, um, uh, the president said that uh, we need now to have uh, health care. He, he uh, declared. Well, by the way, I think he's uh, he's making he's so interesting. He's making a lot of declarations uh, lately, but he's declaring that uh, all patients there should be no pre uh, uh, medical preconditions that should be considered in terms of getting health insurance. Everybody should be covered. Any thoughts on that? So a lot of people are scratching their heads uh, in the wake of those comments that the president made. Mm -hmm. What he said was, we're going to protect people with pre-existing conditions so that insurance companies cannot turn them down, cannot deny them coverage, and won't charge them higher premiums than they charge someone without a pre-existing condition. We're scratching our heads because that's what the Affordable Care Act purports to do. Mm -hmm. That was That's the centerpiece of that law, and that is what the administration is arguing in court that the courts should overturn because it is inseverable from an unconstitutional part of uh, the ACA, the individual mandate, they say. So it's just sort of befuddling that the president is trying to eliminate that uh, existing provision of law uh, that, that Congress passed uh, and, uh, and a president duly signed but uh, then try to uh, replicate that by executive order as if something that's not constitutional for Congress to do is somehow constitutional for the president to do by fiat like that. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And so he hasn't really explained more what he means by that. Um, uh, but I should add, and so we're all sort of wondering when and if he will, because he's been known to spout off about things, particularly health care, without any follow-up. Uh, but uh, I should add that that provision of the Affordable Care Act that purports to bring health care to the sick uh, is actually making health insurance worse for a lot of sick patients. And so I think it would be a huge mistake. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I would like to see uh, Congress eliminate that part of the ACA, and it would be a huge mistake for the president to try to reinstate it. So that's so interesting, and I would say part of the president's strategy is negotiating processes. He'll make a claim like that. And remember, he has that. He, he remembered. Uh, he said he had absolute power to to uh, direct people during this pandemic, <laughs> and then he immediately turned the power over to the states, which where it belongs. So uh, I see him as uh, posturing maybe with with this declaration, and as opposed to making it a meaningful statement about the real direction he wants to take the country, but. Uh, it's so interesting to me, and uh, right now the Affordable Care Act, I believe, is being considered by the Supreme Court in October, if I'm not mistaken, so this, this whole thing may be overturned. So the Supreme Court is hearing a case uh, that challenges the Affordable Care Act's individual mandate, and the, as I mentioned, the president is arguing in court that in that case, the Supreme Court should not only strike down the individual mandate, but strike down the rest of the law. And um, uh, I, I do not support that case, even though I am no fantasy Affordable Care Act. As I mentioned, I think it's making health insurance worse for the sick. It's certainly driving up health insurance premiums. It's taking away your freedom to purchase health insurance for 10 months out of the year. 
But this lawsuit is not the way to go about getting rid of it because uh, it throws out the normal legal rules in order to try to achieve the uh, a desired policy outcome. And when you throw out the rules like that, you're actually making policy, uh, and and you're making really bad policy. Mm-hmm. So um, what you, what what this lawsuit is trying to do is seek out the rule is, is throw out the rule of law in order to get at Obamacare. And I don't like Obamacare, but I think the rule of law is too important uh, to, to sacrifice for a short-term political gain like that. Uh, okay, well, now, um, the president has been, yeah, it's hard, again, it's hard to know what the president means when he says uh, things because he's been known to just spout off. Uh, and I don't think that he's really being strategic uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the time. I think a lot of the time he just doesn't know what he's talking about, but he wants to say something, and so he does. And then his advisors try to rein him in. But uh, my guess is that is what happened with um, his declaration that he has absolute power. And he never gave it back to the states because he never had it yeah. to begin with. So uh, I, I, I would take I would, I would just like, about pre-existing <clears throat> I, I just take a different position on with uh, I see the president making these comments. I think he's ste- uh, thinking three or four or five steps ahead. Usually, when he makes these declarations, I think he knows exactly what he's doing and, and why he's doing it. Uh, but this is very frustrating. I'm sure to policymakers like you or to people who are, uh, I see him. It, this is part of the the art of the deal, quite quite frankly, as I see it. So that's just my take on it, though, Mike, just to, Michael, just to let you know. So, I mean, uh, and we don't have a lot of time here, but in a perfect world, if we got rid of the ACA, if that's that actually happened, what a wonderful opportunity to recreate less government in health care. I mean, I'm sure you've got some ideas that you could share with us about how a perfect system might work. Well, I don't think there is such a thing as a perfect system because, you know, we're talking about human beings here. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't think you can get a system w- where uh, no- nobody ever goes without medical care. What you want to do is minimize as much as is humanly possible uh, the 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 problem of unmet medical need. And I think in order to do that, you've got to use the same market forces in healthcare that we've used to bring other goods and services within the reach of more and more people over yeah. time, from food to technology to air travel. And we just don't use those forces in healthcare. The government controls 50% of our healthcare spending directly, another 20 to 30% of it indirectly. So, so that money is not serving patients. That money is serving the people who control that money, the government and employers and insurance companies. And lobbyists. We need to take that money. It's like $4 trillion. Uh, we need to take that and put it in the hands of consumers. And then the system will begin to serve them. We'll get lower prices uh, uh, through through price competition, we will get better, higher quality health insurance and medical care. Um, and and the evidence is there that these market forces work in healthcare just as they do in other sectors of the economy um, when they're given a chance. The problem is in the United States we don't give them a chance, and once we do, we'll get better, more affordable healthcare. Yeah, what are the odds of pulling that off? <laughs> I am a long-term optimist, <laughs> even if I am sometimes a short-term <laughs> cynic. So, um, uh, and I think those the, the chances are good, if only because of what Winston Churchill is uh, uh, reportedly said about the United States: is that the United States always does the right thing once they've exhausted all the alternatives. 
<laughs> well said. It's a great note to end the conversation, Michael. But I, I do want you to come back. I find this conversation so interesting. Again, Mike, Michael Cannon, uh, Healthcare uh, Director of the Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up. We're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. The website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now, we have with us Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and publisher of History Center, uh, excuse me, of uh, Less Government, <laughs> CEO of Less Government. I apologize, Seton. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Seton. Golly, this is great news. I saw you wrote a column about this, and I said, did I read this right? The Ninth Circuit Court unanimously says you've gone too far left. That was an amazing decision. We've talked about Qualcomm in the past. Well, what happened was, three days before Obama was sworn out of office, his Federal Trade Commission sued Qualcomm and said their patents were a monopoly. They were suing them under antitrust law which, of course, is absurd. Of course, patents are monopolies. It's like suing Shaquille O'Neal for being tall. Right. They then venue shopped um, where to have this case, and they got it in front of Judge Lucy Coe, who was an Obama appointee, 
and had previously been praised in, in, the, in the media as being an activist judge, and she brings her own law to Silicon Valley and, you know, blah, 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 you know, the, the typical pay-in to a leftist judge, activist judge. And so they got it in front of her, and she issued, she extruded a 233-page ruling. Now, keep in mind, if your ruling is adhered to the law, mm-hmm. it should take 22 pages, not 223. Right. Because you cite the relevant law, you say, here's why I'm ruling, because of this law and this statute and blah, blah, blah. If you're writing 223 pages, you're writing a short story. Right. You're writing a fiction to describe what, you know, why your ruling should, is what it is, you know, in spite of the law, in spite of precedent, in spite of, you know, decades of industry practice. And what she, she ruled that it was a monopoly, and, 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 and she basically was single-handedly, unilaterally re- rewriting how, you know, changing the entire industry of how patents are licensed. And so, so Seton, here's the, the thing, the, the importance of this, is, of course, it's important to Qualcomm, but the importance is also to patent law. If, in fact, this ruling had stayed in place, we're really diminishing the importance of patents. And uh, it, 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 destroys, it destroys the entire, you know, it, it destroys the licensing system right. for patents, which is how people get paid for their patents. You're breaking up a little bit, Seton. Could you move closer to a window? I think, I'm, I'm on my landline, and I'm in the middle of my vaulted ceiling. Um, so anyway, so that ruling has been in place for about a year and a half. And we wrote about it at the time, and you and I probably talked about it at the time, about what a ridiculous ruling this was. Well, the Ninth Circuit, in a bipartisan three, three-person judge uh, panel, uh, said this is ridiculous. It's completely... I mean, it was a nuclear bomb yeah. that blew up the, the Obama FTC case and Judge Code's ruling uh, on it and just said this is absurd. There's, there's no evidence of predatory. You know, that was one of the words you used when they say, you know, it's a monopoly, you're predatory. And said, there's no evidence of predatory. You know, one of the things that Judge Code tried to say was Qualcomm was supposed to offer other companies' products within the licensing room. So, Seton, you see, Seton you're breaking up so ba- you're breaking up so badly um, uh, that it, it's almost. Uh, I, ca- I can't understand the conversation. So, I'm gonna have to can turn. You hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, but it's just uh, there's some sort of a breaking up process. But I think the good news, if I could just repeat this, is that uh, nine to nothing, the uh, uh, appeals court. Three nothing. The appeals court uh, ruled that uh, this case cannot stand and protected patent law, which is a big victory for Qualcomm, but also a big victory for uh, private enterprise, for for American patents industry, for five G, for, for for all of these things. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, see, you know, uh, unfortunately, you're breaking up. So we. Do- I understand. I understand. Oh, you know what? Now you're not breaking up. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, the, the vagaries of technology. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, so, oh, and by the way, just as an afterthought, uh, just to show you that, you know, if you doubt that there is a deep state with swamp creatures, the FTC spokesman, remember, this is, we're now into the re-elect effort of the Trump administration, is very upset by this ruling and he's going to weigh his options. <laughs> this guy's still in the Trump FTC four years later. Why isn't he and fired? He, that's what I said at the end of the piece. I said, let's continue our moment of zen and fire this guy and he, replace him with someone who actually likes the Constitution. I mean, does it, is this guy, uh, is it an appointment for a period of years, or how does this work? No, this is just a, this is basically a PR flack for the FTC. 
Amazing. In, 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 the, in, the, in the specific division that handles these types of cases and files these types of cases. He was, he was undoubtedly there on January 17, 2017, when Obama's FTC filed the last-minute lawsuit. And so, probably helped write it. So, just or, so our listeners understand what happened, is this is just uh, this is just mischief on the part of the Obama administration before leaving office a couple of days before, creating mischief, getting involved in, in suing Qualcomm uh, for their patents. That's exactly what happened here. And, and, and it, remember, it's cronyism because Apple was 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 in Obama's hip pocket or vice versa, and and Apple and Qualcomm were having a, a patent dispute at the time. So it was just another attempt to hobble Qualcomm on behalf of Apple by the Obama administration. So this is just the mischief going on at the end of the Obama administration. It's just remember, this is, goes back to uh, uh, to the to the what do they call the hurricane thing? I mean, whatever it was, uh, the the mischief that the Obama administration was trying to create for the Trump uh, administration. Crossfire hurricane. Crossfire hurricane. That's well, the that's one. More than mischief. That's a coup. <laughs> they, Obama and Biden should be in prison, along with a bunch of other people. Yeah. You know, I, I, I miss the good old days when the, only, the Clinton administration took all the W's off the keyboards when George W. Bush was coming in. <laughs> that was... That, that, I miss that, those innocent old days. Yeah. That, that, was, that was better. What do you think of the Kamala Harris uh, uh, selection? I think it's it's yet another indication that the Democrats have totally sold out to the communists. Yeah. I mean, and it, it means two things. One, they're not, you know, what is it, What is she, a swing state? You know, they, they say that you pick the V to try to lock down a swing state. Yeah. California, swing state. No. What she also represents is Biden was kind of not clear on whether he was in big tech's po- pocket. Kamala Harris is. So... Yeah. So, so this is this is a this is a wave to the big tech. Hey, we're on your side, like Obama was. Yeah, the uh, the book that um, I've forgotten his name now. I, I just mentioned it earlier in the show, but it mentions all the Democrat candidates. I read the book, and the ta- chapter on Kamala Harris is so damning in terms of her, her performance. Oh, she's terrible. Uh, she, she's she, horrible. And the funny part is, videos circulated yesterday of her being one of the five or six. Indian Americans being sworn into Congress in twenty whatever she was sworn in, so she she was claiming her Indian heritage then. Now she's the the black VP. Yeah, she's uh, she's bad blood. I'll tell you what, she's two thousand people prosecuted prosecuted for marijuana related charges, and then she goes on a stupid podcast <laughs> and laughs about smoking pot. What a jackass! She is a flip flop. Okay, see now, I just generally appreciate your commentary on the show. Thanks so much for joining Sorry us. Sorry about the. Oh, now, hey, not, not your word. <laughs> Thank you, Seton. Again, uh, you can visit lessgovernment.org. You can also find Less Government on Facebook. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Mayor Bill will be joining us. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, I want to do a little shout-out to Lulu B's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. They do a great job, and they're having construction right now. And uh, so I just encourage you to go over on the whole the whole plaza is getting redone right now so they're under that kind of situation to go take the time go over to lula b's diner for breakfast or lunch they do a great job and big supporters of st matthew's house as well we have with us the former mayor of naples mayor bill barnett bill thank you so much for joining us hey bob uh always good to be with you on a thursday morning Abs- i know the week is coming because the week is coming to an end <laughs> it is coming to an end. So, uh, Bill, I, I know you are uh, always supportive of the things that we are working to do when I was the board chairman of Gulf Shore Playhouse. And uh, some good news yesterday, the planning board approved the parking garage that will be associated with uh, the new playhouse, Gulf Shore Playhouse Performing Arts Center in downtown Naples. Yeah, that that was um, very excited, uh, exciting, and um, that was in the works to... You know, that had approval kind of written on it all over. I mean, it's going to be a wonderful project. And, uh, you know, with everything that's negative going on around us today, uh, that's a big plus, you know. That means we're going to move forward, and uh, uh, the day will come when Gulf Shore Playhouse will will be sitting in there. Right, Bob? Absolutely, Mayor Bill. I mean, you know, in fact... Uh, it is a big step forward, and it's also going to kind of reunite the city, uh, Fifth Avenue South, along with uh, the Tin City and that whole area there. I think it's going to be a great addition, kind of expand and open up the city in, in a way. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that that gives something. It gives it gives uh, uh, and, and, uh, you know a message being sent that hey, we're moving ahead and. Uh, 
gives people something to look forward to. Absolutely. So what it means for uh, Golf Shore Playhouse, Golf Shore Playhouse is donating the land uh, for building the parking garage. And then after the garage is built, of course, patrons of Golf Shore Playhouse will have covered parking and have probably a little less walk up to the, uh, to the new Performing Arts Center. So it's a win-win for everybody involved in the process. Yeah, it, 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 it certainly is. And uh, as I say, put a big smile on my face. I watched a little of that meeting yesterday. So um, that's good. So it just needs, to, it just needs to go to the, uh, to the uh, city council. I guess that's the next step, huh? Yes, yes. I don't know whether they have that scheduled or not, but it probably will be coming up in the near future. Perfect. Once the Planning Advisory Board approves it, they, they, it automatically... Uh, uh, reverts to the uh, city council. Outstanding. So, Mayor Bill, yesterday, uh, the, uh, was it yesterday or the day before now, Kamala Harris, I'm trying to pronounce her name correctly, Kamala, I guess it's Kama with a law at the end. Kamala Harris is now, her senator, is the, now the uh, the new selection for uh, candidate, president, presidential candidate Joe Biden. What Any thoughts on that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, Bob, I, I, I always give these things some, some thought, and, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the critics, of course, uh, the minute that that was announced, I mean, Facebook lit up, Snapchat lit up, you name it, you know, yep. lit up with, it, with, with the negatives and the nasties and the whatever, and, you know, it's, um, it would be expected, no matter who the candidate was, um, no matter who the selection was, but you know, as I say, look, uh, it, it, it is it is what it is, and she she uh, I think it's an interesting selection. Um, and um, hey, listen, let's have a presidential race, or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, you know, you know what? what I mean? Yes, I absolutely do. I think, and we're coming up to Labor Day. That's usually the day when the race really starts, and people start thinking about this. So, uh, right now, we got all the people in place. So, we just need to have some debates. I hope we have uh, these debates actually come off. I know that the Pence will be debating Harris, so that's a given. The question is, do you think uh, uh, Joe's going to come out of the basement and, de- and debate President Trump? I, I don't think he has a choice. Hmm. He, he has no choice uh, um, as any candidate. If you, I, I don't think that if he had any chance uh, whatsoever of winning the election, um, he, he's got a debate. Bob, you know, do you agree or disagree? Oh, I absolutely do agree. I think it's kind of a public service. You have it's to keep the voters informed so they can actually see, you know, the candidates in contrast and in, in comparison to the to what they have to say and how they perform under pressure. I mean, this is this is the number one job in America. So, I think it's important. Right. I, th- I think it's important yeah. that they debate. Well, you've yeah, been, uh, you you've been on the debate stage, so you've been under that pressure. <laughs> yeah, not quite. Uh, not quite like that, but uh, certainly on the stage, and you have to be prepared for whatever comes your way. You yeah. know? Um, uh, and uh, so I think it'll. I think it will make for a lots of interesting conversation. I think maybe it'll take the COVID off our minds for a little bit. Yeah. You know. Um, and I see that the news this morning um, that the Dallas Cowboys were the first NFL team, I guess, to announce that they are going to have fans in the stands. Oh, I didn't see that. Really? Yeah, and uh, uh, they, because they, they have so much square footage, okay, they, uh, and, and at 50%, uh, and they have their own um, uh, pandemic plan, let's put it that way, uh-huh. um, 
they're going to allow probably about 40,000 uh, people in the stands. And they'll be spaced out and uh, in, in, in certain groups. And there was a big thing on, on today. And uh, I think the Green Bay Packers and some of the other NFL teams are going to uh, follow suit. Sure, they'll be limited, but at least there'll be some fans there. Well, that's going to drive up the price of tickets for sure. <laughs> that's kind of interesting. Well, yeah, but if you're a season ticket holder, I'm sure they're going to figure out ways to uh, to figure out, look, you get, you know, by Bob Harden, you might get half the games to their home games and i might get the other half who knows yeah that's you know? interesting i'm sure they'll think it through but that is so fascinating and speaking you mentioned COVID 19 school's about to open i know you've got uh, school age grandchildren um uh, <laughs> yeah i i we we i guess you could say that they're uh we have one we're we're all done with high school with elementary and high schools are all done with us bob we've got uh We've got a uh, college freshman coming in uh, up at American University in D.C., and then we've got one at uh, at Indiana University uh, who's a sophomore, and uh, uh, we've we've yeah we've got a senior at uh, TCU who's uh, actually at Duke right now in their nursing program, um, and so. Um, we, we do have school-aged children. I guess we could still say that. Yeah, so where's, the, where's the time gone, Bill? I was just, they're little kids when we first started doing these interviews. It's just amazing to me how... Yeah, it's funny. I've been on this show so long that our kids are grown uh, from, from babies to adults. And next thing, one's married, and the next thing you know, it's going to be grandchildren. It all happened when I was on the Bob Harden show. Yeah, it's, it's so true, Bill. <laughs> Unbelievable. So uh, are they planning to go back to school what are the situations for them well um yes um they they are um the the um <clears throat> the one going to indiana you she leaves um this saturday um and they the she's the ballet dancer uh and majoring in dance there they don't really know exactly what's going to happen it's going to be a lot of virtual from there uh and um <clears throat> but they they are going, and then the the um, you know they 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 have to go through quarantine, mm-hmm. and then the one from American University, um, her mom and dad are going to drive her up uh, and get her settled. Uh, I think in two weeks, and uh, so uh, remind me next week to tell you the story because I know we're we're probably out of time uh, of what they did up there, which is really interesting for some of the students. So you'll. You'll have to be in suspense till then. <laughs> All right, Phil. Well, hey, I just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show at a weekly, and uh, just great commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. Bob, hit him good today, okay? I certainly hope so. Thank you, Bill. He's Bye. and uh, he's he's absolutely right. Off to play golf and hideout after this, and uh, it's so great to know that we're kind of open here compared to. We talked a little bit about what's happening back in uh, Wisconsin. People have to wear masks during their Zoom meetings when they're alone, just to be, set a good example. So the states, and uh, you you've heard, I'm sure, what uh, Bill. Uh, de Blasio wants to do in New York City. So some very draconian types of measures being taken right now to make people's lives miserable, quite frankly, in my opinion. So we're so grateful. I'm so grateful to have our governor, who I think has made some great decisions, and we're seeing this curve go down. Uh, Again, hospital beds are available. The health care services are not being overwhelmed. Uh, And the number of cases is diminished. Naples Daily News even stopped writing about it uh, today, so I think it all bodes well 
for the future. That's my hope, anyhow, and I hope these kids go back to school safely. If my uh, uh, prognostication works out properly, I think the kids will end up uh, shedding these masks and these goggles and get back to normal lives uh, sooner than later. That's my hope, anyhow. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I appreciate you joining us tomorrow. We're going to visit with William Yateman. He's a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Sharon Kenny. She is the author of Where Should We Eat? Chris Jacobs. Uh, Chris Jacobs is uh, the uh, CEO and founder of Juniper Research Group. We'll be talking a little bit about AARP, and Dr. Paul Fanukin will be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>